There's no bullshit. You're listening to the 15 Seconds Podcast. The podcast for curious minds. And good afternoon, um, and welcome to the 15 Seconds Podcast. Today, I have Saul Betmi de Chatigny, the Chief Marketing Officer of the United Nations Food Program. Um, as some of you may know, my name is Samantha Yarwood, and I get to host the English podcast for 15 Seconds, which is one of my favorite festivals in the world, um, because it brings together curious minds from a variety of intersections of business, innovation, creativity, and I myself am what I call a little bit of a bubble jumper and like to touch a little bit of everything and bring it together. So the fact that 15 Seconds brings together all these curious minds who want to share knowledge, drive positive change, and shape the future is something that really excites me. And that's exactly why I'm really excited about having Saul with us today, because Saul I first met at 15 seconds, it would have been, I think, two years ago? Yeah, two years ago, I think so. Yeah. And what I really liked about Saul's in my first conversation, we've had a few since then, which I continue to enjoy, but Saul's a fellow marketer, but I'd also say more of a behavioral scientist who likes to kind of test and learn. You've made shifts in your career, and I love that you use your superpowers for good. Um, so today we're going to have a chance to talk to Saul and find out more about his work the lessons that he's learned, and how he's made the leap from an agency world to being a humanitarian. So welcome, Saul. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you too. So, Saul, when we first met at 15 Seconds, your talk was on how to better connect brands and people in this new age. Given the environment that we're in today, I think we're probably living one of the most complex times the world has ever faced. You know, for years, we've talked about global warming. We've talked about environmental challenges. Um, but we also have COVID and a number of other things that are happening. Knowing that we need to kind of, I put in quotation marks, save our world, and we need to make some significant changes. Um, Purpose-based marketing has become a really big buzzword lately. And what does that really mean to you? Uh, actually, we, we were talking about this, I think, last time. Purpose, I, I've always had this, I, I think it depends on what people mean by purpose. I mean, it, it's used in lots of different ways. I mean, I, I, I think for an organisation to exist, it, it, it has to have a purpose at, at some level. Mm. You know, it has to be contributing in some way to the person who's buying that product or service. Presumably they're paying for it. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't exist. And, and, and if you... If it doesn't have a purpose, have it doesn't have it at defined. I think, at least in 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 the medium term, it, it, the long term, it's it, it's not going to last very long, because it has to have some sense of purpose. Well, why does it exist? Um, I think where it gets complicated though is is when purpose is a proxy for moral purpose. So um, mm. it feels like it's addressing something wrong in the world and. You know, there's nothing nothing wrong with that at all. It's actually a, that's a really good thing. But purpose for for me is when you when it gets into that realm, it needs to be organisation deep. So um, you can't say you believe in something and then either not do something about it, or or for that person 
purpose to be so far away from the actual business, the actual organization, that it becomes irrelevant. And I, I, I've just been kind of damaged by conversations like this over the years where you have marketing trying to post-rationalize and force fit a a purpose into an organization that hasn't necessarily got a moral purpose and you end up with platitudes and you end up with more damaging communications because it's just there, there isn't any depth to it um i mean i've i've i mean i've been kind of unpacking this for a long time and I, I find the idea of a a kind of conviction more useful which is i've got this i'm quite a system person so i've got this kind of <laughs> framework i use which is um four and then you, you have a, the, the the people you your audience i know there's people have some issues with the word target but like an audience what 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 who are they in a world where so you talk about um what's wrong what's missing what do they need the future must so you're defining a uh, it's foresight so you're saying look this is what yep. we think the future should look like and, and that could be about technology or it could be about you know, the future needs, how you imagine the culture shifting, we do. So we do this. So actual, actual things. So behavior, not, not rhetoric, you know, not just, not just words, but actually just stuff you're doing in the real world. And I always found that framework really helpful because it balances the reality of the world with some aspiration and inspiration. So it's tangible and it's relevant. And I, when, when I, when I apply that framework, um, that I, I, I understand what purpose it means and why it's useful. It doesn't have to be about saving the planet, but it needs to be grounded in a vision of the future that doesn't exist and that you feel tangibly through either technology or something you can do, you can make it re you, you can make it happen. And it, it kind of tends to flush away all the lightness, yeah. the superficiality of it. And that's, that, that's, that's how, that's the journey I've been on with that. Is if, if, if you don't have that, I think you've got, I think you end up just with a, potentially with quite a lot of hot air. If that makes sense. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> and I, I like the framework that you shared because I think that's something that's very applicable, regardless of you know what type of role you're in or what type of organization that you're working within. Yeah, and I, I think so. And I, I mean, I, perhaps what I think we might talk about this later. But the the SDGs, when when you're talking about a purpose that's actually going to help really help the most people in the most ways and you you have to come back to the sdgs which is yeah. i know they're not perfect but they're a really 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 robust framework for fixing the problems that we face mm -hmm. and i had this conversation with somebody else the other day about this is that if you don't it's difficult to think about them in isolation because they're all connected to each other especially when you look at wfp's core SDG, which is zero hunger, you know, ending world yeah. hunger. It is so wrapped up in a lot of the other stuff, like conflict, climate change. You, you have to think about them holistically. And this is where, actually, when you talk about purpose, it gets complicated because if you have a purpose that is about one specific thing, and yet your organization is actually doing lots of other things that are anti other bits of the SDGs, then you've got a problem. Mm. You can't really be consistent and sustainable. 
Yeah, it's really interesting that you bring that up on a few fronts. And just for our listeners, um, SDGs are the sustainable development goals that the UN has set out to achieve our global problems. Um, one of the things that I've realized in the last while is not everybody is as familiar with the lingo as we might. No, be. no, no, no. I, I wasn't. I wasn't either until I joined the UN. So I apologize. That's uh, thank you for qualifying yeah. that. No, it's just, it's been from some conversations where I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. But it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that how they all tie together, because um, I think sometimes what ends up happening is we have these unintentional consequences, mm. where we have really good ideas, and we want to solve problems, but we're not aware of that future and how they impact the other areas. Um, mm. So just thinking about that, and you're having a chance to work on, you know, one of the world's biggest um, sustainable development goals right now. Do you still think we have a chance where we can reach those targets and save our planet? Oh, look, I'm a, God, I hope so. I mean, I'm, I'm an optimist, um, but I'm also, real, I'm also a realist. I, I, think, um, I think humanity by its very nature is, is quite inventive and will, will fix problems. And I think the SDGs as a framework are, have identified the problems. I, I, I think, I also think, I mean, we, were, we, we talked about this before, you know, the, 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 I think COVID has created a sense of solidarity and coherence, understanding food systems and things like that in a way that mm. perhaps we wouldn't have had before. So I think people are becoming much more aware of the, the linked nature of things. I, I, I have to believe that government because government because because they, they feel like they have they have a responsibility to do that but also their their constituents those their voters are becoming much more interested in that so that they'll be voted out potentially if they if they don't focus on it but also organizations like you know, like unilever who yeah. have put the sdgs at the heart of their business and it just feels like that the, the, the we're doing the right things in the right way and it, it'll take us a while to get there but we can. I mean, for, for me, I, I've always been fascinated with the SDGs because it's not just about getting to them; it's about keeping them. Yes. So zero hunger, for example, you can get to zero hunger, but can you can you stay at zero hunger? And that requires systematic changes, um, and for everybody to do things differently, it requires sacrifice. It requires you know, embracing opportunities. I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on on the SDGs. There are people who are far more qualified than me, but I, I, I'm I'm an optimist. I think I think we can fix the problems. It's just gonna it's just not going to be easy. But yeah. one of the few things that I think comes out of COVID is a sense of uh, is a kind of renewed sense of solidarity and cohesion. It's I, there's a few things that you mentioned in there that for me personally resonate. You know, one of the conversations that I've had for a few years now is what is the role of um, a company on society? Because as you look at large organizations, they're becoming and are larger than some countries. And in order to make systematic change, we need to get companies on board. And you mentioned Unilever as an example, but you also talked about systematic change. And that's really complicated. <laughs> and it's a really, really big task. And most people would find it overwhelming and might potentially run in the opposite direction. But you've decided to jump in and embrace it head on. Um, what has drawn you to this type of work? Um, 
Oh, look, I mean, I, I think if you if you ask my mum, I've always been, I've always had a kind of altruistic part to me. I, even mm. from a really early age, I was I was a volunteer at a local um, a local um, charity, um, which is a number of things help help people with the homeless, domestic abuse issues. I was a trustee. A very, I was a sixteen year old trustee. It was very quite strange. I, I did a lot of things that was just important to me. I can't, I can't put a finger on why I was like that. And, I, and it, it's a kind of red thread that goes throughout my life. And like when I was in, I was in Australia for 10 years, I became a big part of the surf lifesaving, you know, um, uh, movement. It was very important to me, not just because of the altruistic side, it was a camaraderie and, and the competitions and swimming and things like that. I loved it, but it's just, it's something that's just been important to me. And if you look at the stuff that I'm most proud of in, in my kind of communications career, it's the, it's the stuff that has a more altruistic bent, which is, you know, just yeah. being able to contribute in some way. And, you know, then getting an opportunity to work for, and I'd argue World Food Programme is probably the most impactful organisation on the in the world. It's, it's the backbone of the UN logistically, does all the planes and the trains, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an extraordinary organisation. And it, if, and it also works with the people who have fallen the furthest behind, the really vulnerable people in the really remote places where there's, there's really challenging environments. You know, that is the, that's, a, that's a natural extension of um, a kind of moral compass that I had when I was much younger. And I yeah. just, it just, it feels, any, you know, those who know me well would know that that, that doesn't feel weird, that yeah. I would start doing that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it just feels like it's, there's, there, there, whether I can do something, whether I can actually contribute to that, 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 that's a question mark, but you know, um, it certainly feels like the kind of thing that we should all care about. And, you know, I jumped at the chance to, to, to have some sort of contribution, however small yeah. for such an amazing organization. It almost feels like it's a natural extension of who you are and how you're manifesting your values in the world. I hope so. I mean, it's not, it's not a forced fit. So I'm not doing it to make myself feel better. It's just, I, I, I take great pleasure in it and it feels, it feels like the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I share your, um, let's call it realistic optimism <laughs> where yeah. I, I, I'm optimistic. I believe that we as humans, you know, want to make a change for the better. I also think that we want to do the right things. I know that we love to create. Um, and, but I tend to be realistic in my approach. Not everybody sees the opportunity to make a change for the better. Why is it that you believe that we can? <laughs> um, I mean, again, I, I, maybe maybe I'm naive, but I, I, I genuinely think um, if 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 left to our own devices, humans are, are naturally inventive and will try and fix problems, and especially when they're faced with with disastrous consequences. I mean, it's just you know. Necessity is the mother of invention. I, 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 I think there are lots of really smart people in lots of different places, and I, I, I think, I think the the internet, the ability to share information, the ability to communicate in different ways, means that the what do we call it cross pollination that that the opportunities to connect dots in different ways that we couldn't do before 
it just means we, we can probably come at problems with different perspectives mm. and, and, and the speed that we can do that it just feels like it's possible I was listening to the there's a new book from um, Bill Gates about climate change who's just a remarkable remarkable brain remarkable person it's just that you, mm. you kind of gives you hope because there are so many things so many people doing so many different things whether they're in corporations or universities or or, or social entrepreneurs that they're just people are throwing so much at it and there's so much money to be made as well as the very real prospect of problems i think it's just going to fix itself and then you layer over the covid thing which is just this sense of connection i i, I hope i'm right um you know i just it just feels like there is a there's an opportunity there and I, i'm I'm, sh I'm sure we'll end up in a, in a better place and hopefully that's not <laughs> being naive i've just got this i've just got this sense of it i've got a feeling about it um yeah it's almost like that some of the things where we are in our lifetime at least and you mentioned this is technology we have exceptional tools um and i you know i've said this earlier on but it's how do you harness those and use those for good um, to be able to like accelerate growth and potential which i'd love your perspective on because you've got a background in innovation a background in psychology, a background in marketing communications. Um, it seems like you've got kind of the perfect fit in some ways to be able to help address these issues and bring people together. But one of the things that I've been curious about is innovation hasn't always been successful. And in fact, you know, if you look at the last 15 years, we've seen a lot of innovation teams emerge. We've seen incubators built, accelerators set up. Um, lots of organizations are introducing design thinking, lean startup, agile or scrum. Um, they've created office spaces that can be a really cool hip experience. But in reality, there's very few innovation or organizations that are still satisfied with their innovation performance. Like I think it's something like 70% of CEOs believe they could be doing innovation better. You know, I was reading as I was preparing for today that you've learned a lot more about innovation during your time at the UN. And I'd be really curious what you've learned and what you could share with the audience. It's, it's, I mean, I find I find the concept of innovation fascinating. I did I did a I recently did finished a master's at, at Oxford on innovation strategy. So my, my no no so 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 that 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 gave me a lot of information, but also made me realise how complicated <laughs> how complicated it is. And the, the, you know there are there are again people far 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 greater knowledge than me who could explain the what. what what works and what doesn't work for certain organisations, but I mean, certainly from a from somebody who's you know relatively recent to WFP, it, mm -hmm. it's that they you know they don't talk a lot about we don't talk a lot about innovation. It's just it's just kind of baked in, and, and what I mean by that is is it's um, if you think about a, a comp often innovation is arguably a, you know a, a means to survival for for a, a company, whereas for us, it's it's an opportunity to build survival for the people who really need it, and that means that that as an organisation, we tend to have a very pragmatic approach, which is you know we we have a kind of culture of get it done, whatever it takes, you know, and and yeah. and it simply sees innovation as a, a means to an you know a means to an end, so a way to solve a problem, and it looks for solutions, and you know some of those will be. What traditionally would you you'd regard as innovation? So right at the edge of technology, like we've got we have a um, we use drones to kind of 
help doing emergencies to help navigate help help relief systems navigate search and rescue efforts things like that cool you know, but, but you know but there are lots of different kinds of innovation and the, the kind of innovations that i find particularly interesting are are using I mean, what 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 I think, if I remember from my degree, it would be kind of business model innovation, context model innovation, which is about taking an innovation from somewhere else and, and putting it in a novel situation and trying try and working out how to fix it. You know, um, and I've the, the the one that really sticks out for me is a it's this idea of a half moon, and it's the best example of that is is in is in Sahel. I don't know whether you. The listeners know it's this enormous kind of vast strip of of land in in Africa that runs, um, you know, south of the Sahara Desert um, yeah. to, to, between the Atlantic Ocean and the Red Sea. It's, it's enormous, and about eighty percent of the land is is degraded there, and it's it's one of the regions that's been most hardest hit by by climate change. And you see severe fluctuations in weather, and that reduces access for for, for a lot of people to communities to 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 the kind of resources that they need. Especially you, you get tension between farmers and herders who share those those kind of the, the water and the grazing rights. And um, WFP, the, we, we, we were deeply involved in a lot of these communities and um, we, we used, uh, we helped them use a kind of an enhanced form of kind of, I would call it a technology, which is um, you, you dig, they dig half moons so they're kind of crescent-shaped pits that um, retain rainwater and, and, and improve soil. And you know, because they planted those, the grass um, can then be used for kind of livestock fodder. I mean, this is an incredibly dry place with virtually no water. And then they can sell the grass to livestock owners, and then that brings them income. Um, and it also means that there's kind of reduced level of conflict within those communities between the people who are... Um, grazing the livestock and those who want to grow food and the different villages work as one they learn to understand each other you know and it's had a profound impact on the community but so for me that is in that is innovation so that's taking something that is thousands of years old and placing it in in a in a in a in a in a, in a community where it can solve a problem that is complicated at a functional level but also at a kind of at a resource level emotional level and that for me is interesting because that that's I'd say that was innovation in a very different way, but it's not the kind of innovation that's kind of shiny and new. It's like that's just clever. You know, they can <laughs> yes. that's just it's just a clever way of doing something. And and, and WP is an organization that does that all over the place. But it doesn't think about it, it doesn't necessarily shout about it, but it's really, really innovative. Um but it's just not it's not it, that doesn't that's not that's not it, it, it doesn't it's not important that people know about it but it just has a very functional way of thinking about innovation it's, it's very very impressive to honestly and I, and I think what's interesting about that too in the example that you um just shared is and it's i never knew about the half moon so i just learned something else new um but is people are at the center of innovation and one of the things that I've looked at and because I, you know, I just finished my master's in change and I purposely took it because I was fascinated by the fact that innovation and change can work, but quite often it doesn't. And quite often it's because of the people that are at the center of it. And you touched on that. So what do you think is different that you're doing? And when I say you with a broader you of the UN in terms of leading others through change or through innovation, like, are there any tips or insights that you're seeing around the most effective way of doing that? 
I mean, part of it is just really clear problem um, identification. I mean, that's I think that's fairly obvious. Though it's like you know, just really understanding the issue that you're trying to face. But but as you as you as you asked that question, there was there's this um, thing called I think Jim Collins called it the the Stockdale um, yes. paradox. Have you heard of the Stockdale paradox? It's I have. It, 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 it's come it's come up. It came up in therapy when I was much younger, and it came up. Uh, when I read Good to Great, and it came up again in a podcast, Tim Ferriss' podcast the other day, and I'd I'd forgotten about it. And when you think about change and leadership and innovation, it's hard not to come back to that, and especially when I think about the way that UNWFP thinks about it. The the, the central idea is, and if if I remember rightly, Jim Stockdale's a, he was a, a, a pilot who got shot down in the Vietnam War and was, Put in a very difficult situation he was tortured and for a very long time and jim collins deconstructs that afterwards and, and tries to understand why he came out of that situation mentally quite stable and okay whereas a lot of people didn't and he had there was kind of two things that he surmised that that, that um jim stockdale had that other people didn't which was he had this faith that everything was going to be okay however hard it got he believed that um, he had a kind of internal sense of power. He, he, feel, he feels like he could control something and he had the, the coping strategies to, to tolerate and deal with the situation. But at the same time, he also balanced that with just a brutal understanding of the reality of the, of the facts of the situation. Yep. And he was able to maintain perspective. And there was a lovely quote from some of the, the, the optimists were the people who struggled because they, and I'd never thought about optimism like this before, but they were the people who, kind of gave themselves like we're gonna be home by Christmas, we're gonna be home yeah. by Easter, and then and it didn't happen. Whereas um, Jim Stockdale never actually allowed himself to do that. He just said, Look, I'm gonna be okay. This is very difficult, but the the facts of the situation are that I'm I may I may be here for a long time. What I think that is very applicable to is the time that we're in right now is because none of us know how things are going to continue to unfold, but let's believe that and have faith that everything is going to be okay. But at the same time, set realistic goals and expectations, but um, continue yeah. on your thought pattern. Yeah, no, 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 it's exactly right. So, so when you talk about leadership and change, I immediately go there because I mean, it's a very personal thing. It's just, you, you, you know, you, this is, this is a strange time for us. You know, I know what we are. Most of the people listening to this will be, in very lucky positions compared to most most of the world, but it's a strange time. It's a difficult time for us. And but the 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 idea about how being able to hold those two often conflicting things in ambiguous situations at the same time is very difficult to do. But it's also very helpful because it means you can have a vision for the future, but be grounded in the facts uh, of the, the reality of the situation. So you can, yeah, you, it just it just feels like one of those things that's a that's a path to success. I, it's really hard to do it, but I whenever whenever that, that kind of leadership comes up, now I start thinking about that, especially in challenging environments. How do you do that? How do you hold the space for those two point of views? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I I I I don't know, but I mean, for me, it all comes down to perspective and the ability to. I think maybe we might talk about this later. It's like in meditation, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, mm. I'm a meditator, and, and I do that for a number of reasons because it keeps me calm. But also, you're, it, it does requ- it does enable you to step away 
and see things from a more objective perspective. And I, yeah. I suspect that someone like a um, Jim Stockdale had that just kind of built in. He had that kind of philosophy built in, but the, the idea that you can actually step away from stuff, I think is enormously helpful. I and mean, it's really mm. difficult. I, I struggle with it. Um, meditation certainly helps, but just, just not getting involved sometimes, not, not getting, pulling, getting pulled in, and being able to step away and have a look. I think is one of those levers that, and one of those muscles that we, quite frankly, we all need to develop me more than anybody else probably. You, you touched on this earlier around this pause that we have right now. And I almost think it's the world taking this break of meditation in some ways and giving space to be able to reflect, look at things in a different way. And, and I love that you just brought up that you meditate to be able to do that for yourself. So, you know, we've talked about the UN's innovation process, but I'm really curious, do you have your own process? Like whether that's a creative process or an innovation process? Ish. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I have a tendency, I and mean, again, I, I come from a kind of advertising strategy background. So I, I, I've always found kind of certain briefing processes as a way of, as a thinking exercise, a way of wrestling things to the ground. So part of it's having a sense of conviction. So knowing what you want the objective or what the future needs to look like, but then being really brutally honest with yourself about what challenges in the way, what, what stuff is, what are the barriers, but then really thinking about, and, 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 and this is where innovation I think it comes in. It's just, what are the, what are the angles of attack? What are the ways of overcoming that challenge? And then what is the answer that flows from those things? And that it's a very simple kind of logical, you can tell a story to yourself and you can adapt it. I've always found that a, a really simple process of, of reduction and sacrifice where you go, okay, what, what really is the problem? And what really is the challenge, the central one? And what really is the opportunity to um, address that? And do I have the assets to do it? And if I don't, can we make them? Mm. Um, so that's kind of one bit of it. The other bit, um, and I got this from from the Oxford thing about the idea of production and reflection. So um, there is this, I think, there's an assumption in innovation. It's all about produ producing stuff. Actually, reflection for me is equally important. That the and it kind of links back to what we were talking about before about the the, the ability to step away and have a look at perspectives and come back to problems. Um, I mean, I, 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 I used to run innovation workshops, uh, not creativity workshops when I was um, in, in a different life. And I used to ask this question of, well, when do people have their best ideas? Yep. And I know, I know it's not a, new, not a new question, but uh, the answer, just the consistency of the answer was always fascinating to me. Was like, it's never when you're sitting trying to think about a problem. It's no. when you're medita meditating is a really good way of getting you to think about stuff because you don't want to, um, you know, it's running, it's having a coffee with a friend or it's having a drink or in a walk. You have to lay the foundation stones in a production phase where that's actually making stuff or thinking about something. And then you have to step away. Um, I know there's, there's, I can't remember the name of the, there's a, there's a discipline in learning about um, dissociative learning. I can't, where, where you're, where you're actively, actively not thinking about stuff. And it, that's, that tends to be when you're, when the stuff pops in. So do I have an innovation process? Not really, it's sort of, it's quite organic, but I know that I have to do, there's a, there's a point where I have to do the work and there's a point when I stop. And that's usually when the, the work bears fruit. Yeah, That's when the interesting stuff, that's when the interesting stuff happens.
I call those my bathroom moments because I tend to find those moments in the day where you step out of whatever you're doing and whether that's you go into the bathroom and then just all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've got an idea. It's come to me. You know, it's those moments that we quiet down um, and that we're not we're not in the active process of thinking. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of psychology and research in this. It's just you know, that's what insight is. It's, it's it's you're laying the foundations of when your subconscious, non-conscious mind is yeah. bubbling away, and you're not aware of it, but it's making connections. It's doing stuff that your your conscious brain probably can't do. You just need to give it permission to do that. So that means having fallow time, downtime. Um, and it's really hard to do that when you're really busy. Completely. So I want to talk Pat, more into that in a second. But before we get there, I have one more question to ask you about the UN, because I'm just like super curious and nosy about this. But what was it like to get the Nobel Prize? <laughs> um, I mean, that's a really, I mean, it's a really difficult question to answer. Um, um, for two reasons. First, I really had nothing to do with it. Um, it's, it's the, it's almost, we've got almost 20,000 staff we have. Yeah, and then then if you, I mean, I've I talked about this before. It's like generate, it's generations deep, so you have generations of remarkable people doing remarkable stuff. Mm. You know, for you know, almost over sixty years, you know, there are you know, our, our partner governments who who fund us. You know, we we literally we can't function without them. Um, our implementation partners, but most importantly, the people you know who we serve, you know, the beneficiaries. That, that's 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 who that's where the honor is that's where that's those people deserve and i don't get me wrong i'm very proud to be associated with it, it is an ex- it's difficult not to fall in love with this organization it's amazing i don't feel yeah. like i have much responsibility for anything to do with with the prize but but also and our executive director said this just after we won last year which was <clears throat> it's it's bittersweet and you know he, he said it's both an honor and a tragedy and if you listen to the, it was the, the 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 announcement speech itself, is very interesting because it says, um, yes, it acknowledges what WP's been able to do, but it also it's also a warning. We're saying, look, you know, mm-hmm. if, if 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 the world doesn't change, if if organisations like WFP do not get the funds they need, we're in real trouble. People are gonna people are gonna you know people are gonna start to death. They're gonna have more yeah. and more problems laid upon them. Um, so there's a kind of bittersweet thing, but also just from a branding point of view, and again, you know, what my remit is is helping build that brand. It's an incredible opportunity because it it shone a light on our work and you know asked some really difficult questions, which is what has hunger got to do with peace? What's food got to mm. do with what's food got to do with conflict? Um, you know, and, and in, in a in a world where we're struggling to cut through, um, where uh, you know we, the money that we spend is almost exclusively goes to our operations. You know that kind of stuff is gold dust. It's really, really important. And my my colleague uh, Greg Barrow, who is is remarkable chap in his media team, got the most incredible coverage because of it. And I think did more to build the brand than anybody's done in the history of the organization, quite frankly. Yeah. And so it was, it was, but again, it was really kind of paradoxical, the whole thing. It's like really, really, it was a celebration, but it's also, it's like, the problem's still there. 
that's not easy. No, and I like the I like the how you've articulated that, but also you mentioned that earlier around the SDGs, and I think a key word with the SDGs is sustainable. It's not just about the development goals and achieving them, it's the sustainable piece and recognizing that we can bring awareness to things, but we need to continue to sustain and put effort against them. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean again, this my experience with WFP has been, every day is enlightening. You know, we, we, have, we have experts on conflict and hunger and, yeah. and you realize that our operations you know, we help before, during and after conflict, we help try and mitigate um, conflict situations. We help deal with the, the, the implications of those. But there are also many kind of um, peace actors in that in that space who, who that's what they do. And their governments, their, their NGOs, there's lots of things. And it's, it's another example of just how complicated all of this stuff is. Yeah. You know, I, I realise you go, oh, wow, I didn't. And I, I've often described my life as a, here was a like a dark room with a torch, and another example. It's like I, I suddenly had to become, I become very aware of, of the complexity of that particular part of our organisation and the context it plays in. It's, it's remarkable, really. So, thinking, I'm going to use that analogy: your life as being in a dark room with a torch. At what point did the torch light for you, and you decided to move from being in the corporate world to using, I'm going to call it, your superpowers for good? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to think I had a superpower, but um, I don't. Do, <laughs> I, I, I'd. We all do, Saul. We all. Yeah, do. I hope so. Somewhere. Um, I mean, it, it, a real, it's a real slow burn, and I, I think it probably comes back to kind of my humble journal. I, I've been journaling for a long time. I find it very, very cathartic. I try and write most mornings just for ten minutes over coffee, whatever's in my head, um, how I'm feeling, what's going on, what I'm grateful for kind of stuff I, I suspect quite a lot of listeners will, will do. And I, I just noticed as I, I mean, it's a reflection device as well, I noticed that there was more and more questions about what I wanted to do with my life and what was important to me. And, you know, it's, it's quite hard to do that without thinking about work and without thinking mm. about contribution. And at the same time, like I mentioned I was doing this master's and I, um, there was a really interesting framework in it, which I keep coming back to, which was this idea about um, exploit, explore, which is it, 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 it's used as a as a as a framework to think about ongoing generational success for organisations. So the, the the organisations that kind of adapt and don't don't do really well for five years and then just just collapse. And the idea is, and I applied it to myself. Strangely, I just found it really useful, which is how do you exploit what you're currently good at, you're successful at, whilst also exploring what is going to put you out of business in the future. Mm. So uh, and it, it, the, the essence of it is, you know, you being a work in progress and the organization being a work in progress and working out what the, and it comes back to the innovation question you, you, yeah. you're asking before. And I just found it, I found, I found myself applying it to my situation, which was what am I currently good at? What do I enjoy doing? And what contribution do I want to make? in the future and at the same time i'd met um uh, uh, this fascinating guy called henry uh, majed who's a kind of serial entrepreneur polymath um uh just just one of those fascinating people you go i don't know how he does what he does i don't know how he fits it in and he's a visiting um fellow at uh at Sire business school the skull center 
And he, we, I sat next to him at a dinner and it just, it kind of felt like we were supposed to sit next to each other and we ended up clicking yeah. and just talking about what success means. And I, I learned a lot from him. I continue to, I mean, we, we, check, we catch up regularly. And it was, and one of those things how it was serendipitous because at the same time I got a, I got a call from the UN asking if I was interested in the job. So I was kind of ready. You know, I, I, I think, I think the, the world's a bit like this. It's, you know, you, you notice things that you probably wouldn't, and things happen in a way that you probably wouldn't be able to predict, but I was kind of ready for that. And yeah. it presented itself. And then I, I luckily got through the, the quite long recruitment process. So it was, it was, it was serendipity, I think. That makes sense. <laughs> no, and I, 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 well, I'm, I'm a big believer in serendipity and looking at those patterns in your life. And you know, I like the model that you used of exploit, explore, because to me that also helps what I call like paradoxes mm. um, or polarities and understanding the different sides of things. So just on the different side of things, I mean, anybody who's listening to this can tell that you know, very smart individual, um, great successful career, big heart. Um, but I'd like to know what's the other side of that. Like, what hurdles have you personally faced, and how have you overcome them? Oh, oh. oh <laughs> my sorry. god! No, no, no. I mean, it's um. <laughs> I mean, I, I. Where do you start? I mean, I, I, okay. I'll if you look at, I'll use the UN as a kind of metaphor. So, so you've in my experience there. So you've got, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm. I've got a lot of experience and skill in, in particular places, but when you enter an organization like WFP, you've got geopolitical um, uh, complexities that I just have not been exposed to before. So very complicated situations. You've got almost impossible prioritization challenges. Everything's important. Everything's urgent. People like people's lives are on the line. Um, you've got really difficult complicated investment decisions you know when you're trying to justify a com spend an advertising spend when you've got operational challenges I and mean, especially you know you talk about covid i mean the organization the, the governments that support us have you know understandably going through difficult situations themselves economically those investment it's a completely different conversation about roi when you have that kind yep. of that kind of background you've also got very complicated audiences you know from public audiences through to governments to our implementing partners. Um, but the reason I bring that up is it's, it's my life is, is, is one built from humility. I, you, just when you think you've got a handle on something, just when you think you know what you're doing, you realize you don't. And, <laughs> and I've just accepted, I mean, I, the, Oxford was the same. You go, God, I thought I knew about that. I didn't. Um, and my, my, you know, how do I cope with it? I think was the question you asked. Is is just being being humble enough to know that there's a most of the stuff I don't understand. I don't know, and I've, you know, I've learned a lot from. I've got my my, my boss, Corinne Woods, who's the director of um, of comms, and the guy I mentioned before, Greg. When I just watched and learned, yeah, you know, watched and just said, okay, I, I don't understand this. How do I do this? And it's you know that's. You know their wisdom and it's you know and, and their 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 mouse is just has really helped me. But it it comes down to I mean you have to make sure your your humility isn't isn't crippling so that you yeah. you then don't feel like you can move forward. But it's just acknowledgement that there's a lot of stuff you don't understand. Um, you know, 
I don't think anybody can be arrogant about anything. I, I, I find arrogance is um, it's usually a, usually a usually a fragile ego. So I, 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 I hopefully I think humility is a is a nice thing in people. <laughs> I just I, I have to have a lot of it because I'm just I feel humble all the time. I feel <laughs> I'm humbled all the time. I think it's a great quality to have, and actually, you know, something that I try to challenge myself on too is constantly learning. So on that, um, if you were in my shoes, is there a question that you would have asked? Well, you you probably you probably could tell I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, 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 <laughs> one yeah. one one podcast um, particularly had an influence on me. Um, my my. Um, my friend Jamie Mondelbon introduced me to Tim Ferriss a long time ago when he first started doing the podcast. I knew about him from the from his books, but but he, yeah. he always asks a question. He's got one of the questions he always asks is what what would your um what would the billboard be? And I was I think I naturally gravitate towards that given my background. But I, I it's always fascinated me. I wonder how I'd answer that question. And I I uh, kind of there were so many things I probably put the, the one that I've that intrigues me and I found particularly helpful comes from actually another, probably another podcast um, contributor, Tim Ferriss, which was uh, the guy who wrote um, the, Ob the obstacle is the way he, he has this really nice thought in his book that I probably put as a headline, which is what are you choosing not to see right now? Mm. And what that means and the way I interpret it is in the moment, in the moment when things look weird, look bad, um, you, you're often not seeing the opportunity. Now, I don't mean that in a in a naive way. I mean, I just the, the stuff that you re realize later on. There's learnings that you realize later on that you 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 didn't see at the time. And if you, if if there's any way of compressing that time, so that you see the benefit long before um, you would normally when it naturally occurs, that I find incredibly rewarding. And very interesting and, and difficult, but it's but also it's it sounds a bit weird. Is as a, a, again an advertising guy, what you're choosing to not see right now is intriguing. I don't know what that means. I wonder what that means. So you kind of yeah. pulls you in, and I probably Google it and find out more. Yeah. So that's it. my. So I'm glad if if I never do another podcast, I'm glad somebody I've had a chance to give the answer to the Tim Ferriss question. I'll never get asked. <laughs> I love it. Why Tim Ferriss? <laughs> um, well, that actually leads me to ask you one last question because I'm changing my mind on this. Um, but what are you not seeing right now? <laughs> um. So, so I, I think that the, the, the role I'm doing at the UN, I'd always assumed that it was the role itself that was the stepping stone and the most important thing. I think it's actually what I've learned from it. What I've seen about what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Mm. And what I've seen in the, the brilliance of others. Because I've, I've been exposed to people who are just extraordinary. Yeah, who come from completely different worlds and who, and who have skill sets that I can't even understand, let alone do. It's I, I, I did not I did I wouldn't have been able to tell that before, and I'm only beginning to realise it now. And that is humbling again, but it's also fascinating because you know that the, the, the uh, we've had conversations like this before, sound about reflection, and it's come up a few times now. Is that 
the ability to reflect and look at stuff is really hard. But that question asking me that then it make, makes me reflect on where I'm at now and where I want to go yeah. and what I want to do. Beautiful. I think you've shared so many good insights today, Saul, just from like the, you know, four questions to ask yourself, so. the homework <laughs> and meditation, journaling, you know, the ability to reflect. Um, thank you so much for your time. But, you know, that last comment of thinking about where you want to go on that, if people want to follow you and keep up with where you are, what you're doing, um, what is the best way for them to keep in touch with you? Um, I'm I'm quite bad at Twitter. I I, I suspect the best place is LinkedIn um, because I tend to. If there's any any projects I'm working on, I'm interested yeah. in, especially at the moment with with um, with WFP and UN. I I tend to talk about those and share them there. Um, and I'm very happy to connect with people there. Great. Excellent. Well, thank you again for your time. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. Um, well, thank you. No, it's just, Sam, it's always it's made me think about a lot of stuff. It's very, thank you so much. I've always found these things very cathartic and useful. So thank you. You are more than welcome. Have a wonderful day. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening to us. And uh, I'm sure you got out of today's conversation just as much as I did. Um, have a wonderful day. Great. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you.